This is a podcast from The Red House, the former home of Benjamin Britten and Peter Pears. I'm Lucy Walker. Join me, colleagues and other guests for a monthly chat about all things Britain and Peers, plus music, culture, heritage in general and anything else that might come up. Welcome to From the Red House podcast uh, and I'm delighted today to be joined by the composer Erilyn Wallen um, and as in previous podcasts uh, we're, we've been in lockdown for a long time we're about to go into another one because uh, it's November 2020 and I'm speaking from my house in Suffolk. Erilyn you're somewhere extraordinary could you say where you're speaking from? Yes I'm I'm speaking from a lighthouse house on the very north tip of Scotland right in the middle um, it's an extraordinary place so um, to put it in context, it's, I'm about a six-hour six drive from Glasgow. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's top of the country. That, that, can you see um, like Orkney from where you are, or is that another bit? I can see Orkney from my kitchen window very clearly most wow. days. Wow. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I suppose I'm in the footsteps of Max, Peter Maxwell Davies, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, it's an amazingly atmospheric part of the country. I'm... I'm visualizing it very clearly here where I am <laughs> um, in a very different bit of coast um, so I, they've got as I was saying to you but just before we started I've got lots of things to ask you um, and lots to congratulate you on uh, you've got a new, uh, an RPS nomination for for a piece Oh, yes. um, and you've been highlighted uh, very prominently at the proms this year with the, the, the last night of the proms performance and lots of performances and, and recordings despite recent events um, and also your forthcoming EP uh, as well so there's lots going on for you you're immensely busy I know and and also earlier this year I had a piece recorded on the marvellous Chinake album Spark Catchers so I felt the, the year started off splendidly and um, I had no idea it would be uh, such a tumultuous time, but but that I would be so incredibly busy. I I've just returned also from Glasgow, where uh, the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland, where I've just been made visiting professor, and oh. I, I was working with the Royal Scottish National Orchestra, who played my piece Mighty River, and that will be available soon online. Great. Great. So I know it's amazing. <sighs> and what um what's your forthcoming EP that which is out on the thirteenth of November, I believe. The EP is called peace on earth after mm-hmm. the eponym- eponymous track called peace on earth and it has two other works on it parche and then see that i am god and this was a recording that was made last june at king's college cambridge and, and was one of the last recordings uh stephen Cleaver made so oh. it's a bit of history yes and a and a uh, yeah fitting tribute to him as well that's yeah that bit's very moving mm. um I was just about to sort of ask what, what style it's in, but I, I somehow feel that's a kind of strange question for you because you work in such a, well, I say a range of styles, but it's actually, it's as if you don't, you're not looking for types of styles. It's, it's you're, you're, you're seeking to eliminate boundaries between styles often, aren't you? Um, and rather than making a statement about, oh, this isn't this style, this isn't that style. Um, but would is there a style you can assign to this piece, or is that not the right word? Um, it's very strange, isn't it? Because it's particularly when I'm writing uh, vocal works, I, I let the text very much lead me. I don't know where I got this idea from to be quite so open in my musical thinking, but it's important to me to be very honest and clear. And um, maybe because of my upbringing, where you know I'm so interested in different ways of living, of being different mindsets that I think my music is it's not as if I'm even trying out 
occasionally I'll be trying out a style, but it's more I want to get to the truth of the text or mm-hmm. the atmosphere. So the truth of the text, you you often write your own texts, don't you? Or you have done? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I do. And I, it's a very different experience there. It, and I'm incredibly freer, but I really, really relish working with either living writers or, um, you know, writers from the past. Uh-huh. So the collaborative process is clearly immensely important to you you've got a huge list of collaborators on your website i was looking at yes and it's um, that's a few years out that's a few years out of date now <laughs> so it's even more yes yes it's so stimulating working with um with writers for example uh, my op for silent twins uh, the the bond i made with april DeAngelis working on that opera you know that that's a bond that will last our lifetimes and we're always look we're looking for another project Mm. it's so important to say that different collaborations bring out different different um bring something new from each collaborator oh i'm sure yes that that's um and and something that's perhaps quite unpredictable so you go into it with a sort of open mind i guess that's it and i think i really relish that unpredictability um i've just collaborating now with Wesley Stace for the latest opera, um, Dido's Ghost, which will go on mm. next June. And he's he's a very different sort of writer, but he actually himself is a singer-songwriter, so that's that's been very enjoyable to, to, to really understand how he... Uh, he's, he's got a deep knowledge of writing lyrics, so that's, that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. You said something about that uh, openness might have come from your, from your background. Do you want to just say a little about how you how you got into this business of being a composer <laughs> <laughs> do you know oh gosh you see i not in a million years did i ever ever think that i would become a professional composer and it's still what one of the greatest surprises to me and i know many many of our you know our, our most revered living composers some like george ben benjamin tom Adez, they i think they always they felt destined and you know, from a young age, they knew this was what they were going to do. I enjoyed composing, and I did compose, but I never had that put that label on myself. It took me a while to acknowledge that that was actually my default state. And I grew up. Um, I was born in Belize. Uh, grew up in London. Then went to school um, in Sussex from the age of thirteen to seventeen. Um, parents lived mostly in New York, so I was between New York and London, mm. and then Sussex. So. Uh, there's a lot of change in um, change in family circumstances, and I think it made me very aware of um, I just don't know of change and people, different settings. Also, my parents uh, incredibly musical, incredible. So music was in the house all the time, and all sorts of music, and I could see the effect of it on them. You know, they even in their eighties, if they heard, if they heard something they liked, they would actually jump up and dance to it. <laughs> <laughs> wow and that um actually do you have dance background yourself don't you in some yes yes yeah. i do i um uh that's th- actually that was the road into being a composer into well into mm-hmm. classical music I, I went to dance classes like lots of little little girls do and but when it came to ballet i i got mesmerized by the music being played it was chopin and, and i mm-hmm. and that led me to try and find more of that music so I, that's how I discovered Radio 3 very much by myself you know by twiddling the knobs and then there was no looking back after that and would and the music 
were you drawn to music that, that you could respond to bodily in a dancing sense or all music that, that, you know that was why it, it was music I could fling around fling myself around to in the house <laughs> <laughs> and then as I learned to play piano mm. I would then go to the library and take out schools uh, in the days when you know libraries were so you know fantastically yeah. stocked I would just pull randomly scores off the shelf and, and play them at the piano and the first one of these was um, Hansel and Gretel and I had no guidance that's the thing there was very little guidance to being a composer but because I was exploring music so widely and occasionally my uncle would ask me to play um, popular songs for him at the piano so I got used to this really rich and varied life of music mm. making and it sounds quite a liberating route in, in that you weren't necessarily overly intimidated by oh I'm now a composer I'm part of this huge weight of history and this canon that I have to sort of get into and you know as if because if, if you're open to all kinds of other musics that aren't deemed canonical which is a whole other subject that we could perhaps talk about but yes that that actually coming at it for, for just finding it finding your own way in that sounds like it might have been quite a liberating experience yes I and actually, my way into being a composer was, as I think maybe for many kids, was primarily as, as a music lover. Mm-hmm. I, I I loved music, and my favourite works, I was curious to see how they were made. And so, you know, in composing to this day, I will, it, it's often a route into another composer's own journey in their work. And also the fact, the fact that you perform quite a lot of your work yourself as well. You play the piano and you sing. Um, that must feed into some of the stylistic qualities of your of your writing as well. Yes, and that's another adventure. I had absolutely... I, I feel as if I've challenged myself in my own life because scare, singing, and certainly singing in public, was the scariest thing I could ever think of doing. So I made myself do it, and I just love it now. Um, but I, I just always had this attitude that, a composer should be like an explorer and there's no need for one composer to follow the exact same path as a as another one that we've all come from different backgrounds but the, but the idea of performing is so and the ability to perform is is I think crucial to me yeah in my life as a composer yes and so because I was watching one of your um I mean I've just just explored the various sort of genres and and um areas that you've written for including a a film called Falling which was about seemed to be about, sort of about gravity and and um, astronauts falling through through gravity, and then you're playing and singing as well along to that as these two very balletic artists are yeah. falling through the sky, and that was a you know I've never seen anything quite like that before, <laughs> um, and actually to see the composer <laughs> in the heart of it singing and playing as well, yes. it was it was great, and it, actually that was the astronaut's voice speaking. Yes. Uh, um, I love it when projects come about through your, you know, your own experience. Mm. And it's not as if we sat down and said, oh, um, we're going to do this about gravity. I just thought I want to work with Steve McLean, who's just come back from space. I want to work with um, this filmmaker and uh, Henry Oguike. So that was the team. And so it took a while to think what we might do. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Yeah. No, lovely. A sort of serendipity kind of based project where all sorts of things came together. But yeah, not not many space based <laughs> Musical films <laughs> along those lines. So, yeah, brilliant. No. Oh, thank you. I'm glad you liked it. Um, other works I, I was sort of struck by, um, that your your personal piano style is very uh, rhythmic 
and and um, and in particularly the girl the girl in my alphabet, which is a great title, which I'd quite like to ask you about anyway. Um, just that was one of the works that struck me, where your own perhaps playing style feeds into your compositional style. Yes, um, I've not written that much for the piano. Having said that, I'm just finishing a piano concerto, mm. but I I've always rather bashed the piano, and uh, it was pointed out to me that. I do play very rhythmically. And so the girl in my alphabet starts with this incredible bashing. Uh, and the recording with Douglas Finch, who's an extraordinarily nuanced uh, pianist, we, we actually toured that work quite a lot together. We played it a lot in public. Uh-huh. Um, what, what I feel is that when I'm composing music, I sometimes want it to sound really free and improvised, even though actually to notate it, it's quite... Um, you know, it's quite strictly notated. But I that was a work that was written um i played in graham fitkin's group nan quidno which was uh four pianists two pianos and it was written for that group so very much inspired by um i suppose systems music but also it ranges through variety of styles you know from stockhausen style mm. right through to sort of cheesy cheesy tv advert music <laughs> <laughs> i just don't care no um, i think it's brilliant <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I'm composing and I'll say to myself, please say you're not going to do that, Erin. Please say you're not going to go there. <laughs> I just do it. Just anyway. do it anyway. <laughs> Excellent. Um, well, I think um, that that uh, sense of freedom and exploration also found in the, the, your Friday afternoon set that you did, which is, I think, where you and I first met when you did um, the set for the Friday afternoons project that's sort of run out of. Um, Britain Piers Arts um, which had again very energetic rhythmic piano parts in as well they were great fun those songs oh and uh, do you know what the thrill was that Lucy was was performing you know a couple of them in the Red House itself Mm. sitting at Britain's piano that was such a highlight Um, and writing that uh, making I was so thrilled to be asked to make that anthology Mm. and because it forced me to think like a child and just think about what children would be interested in and um at the song lonely dog it it, you know while i was writing the songs wherever i went i was always looking for material but looking at life through you know child's eye and children notice really they notice a lot of things that adults would just simply pass by Mm -hmm. um so describes um you know a drive looking at looking at clouds looking at stars um, what it feels like to have a new baby in the house mm. um, all these things uh, but also the one I, I was when I was in Greece coming back from a very short holiday it was pouring with rain and there was a bedraggled lonely dog just mooching around and I thought if I was a certain sort of child I'd be really thinking about that dog mm. and so I thought I'll write a song about him <laughs> and wrote the words as well for, the, oh, for that set. that's the thing yes yeah Yes, I did. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That was a. It was a joy to write that set. I have yes. To um, the, more recently, the uh, you made a new arrangement of Jerusalem for the last night of the proms, which was great. I sent you a, a very gushing fangirl email <laughs> afterwards. But I was so taken <laughs> with it because it was so. Oh. Uh, it was so you, but it, it was so kind of vibrant and the kind of blasted off the stage in a great way but that amazing singer as well oh. um how did you how did you go about starting that well, the truth is i had very little time mm. um you know i'm just so in awe of the bbc for achieving to 
just to salvage something of a plum season mm. and uh, but with the daily changing restrictions uh, everything was so difficult and I and I was really only asked three weeks before the performance uh, but it was because the, you know the forces had to be so radically reduced so I, I think the BBC had expected a, a simple uh, kind of transcription and what I gave them was was, was a reimagining what's a reimagining and it's too late for them to change <laughs> but um i the, what was also fantastic i will be working with golda schultz for my mm. opera dido's ghost and when i knew golda was would be singing i was jumping up and down mm. so she was my great inspiration yeah and uh and i you know i grew up playing hymns at school so that i know and love the hymn jerusalem and i thought let me recast it for our times it's been a difficult year i want us to look closely at the words of of William Blake yeah. and that's what I did and it's funny as I was asked to do this I, I just sat down and played Jerusalem about 100 times and then bang my arrangement just seemed to come it just came out very quite straightforwardly Goodness. which is just as well because I had so little time oh I was gonna I was gonna ask because you your um your catalogue is, is is large do you do you write generally write quickly or is it only when you have a, a deadline such as that or do you need a deadline to get going do you know I've always thought I was a slow composer um, and certainly I, and I'm always stressing to my students don't worry if it hurts you to compose but the act of composing of notating is incredibly slow compared to the speed of thought that you know composers have hmm. so I think I can be quick but having said that um I, I, for example, there's a piano concerto I started at the beginning of the year, but I'm sitting on it a little bit because I really, I like to give myself time to refine things, and in refining them, you 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 can make really good decisions that make the piece, you know, good ten, fifteen percent better. So, mm. um, but I can write quickly. Uh, with Jerusalem, there was, what was scary about that was that yes, there was very little time to have in hand to really go back and change things mm -hmm. um but i remember i remember britain saying you know he started out writing music for he started out he, he when he was young he wrote a lot of music for radio with really impossible deadlines mm. and i you know i have written some commercial music when i was starting out and that was the best training i think for learning to be fluent you know make decisions quickly mm -hmm. yes and i suppose perhaps not having that luxury in those circumstances to be forever tinkering and tweaking you just also will know that this is it this has to be it and yes yes yeah that's interesting and i think you could yeah, sorry let's interrupt you but also you can um you know i love teaching so much and i can see that uh occasionally i have students who are perfectionists you know real super perfection and what happens is they'll they'll write something and they they'll throw it away and start again but i, I I'm a, I'm a real fan of trying to make something good out of what seems an unpromising idea and just really stick with something. You can, you have the power to make things, you know, better. Mm. Yeah, so rather than thinking, well, I'm finding this a struggle, it's clearly not meant to be. You actually think, well, the, the struggle is part of the point, perhaps, in this piece. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So around the same time as the as the promise, it wasn't wasn't so much to do with with your piece, but there was an awful um, lot of fuss on social media and in the news about the inclusion of Rule Britannia, 
um, which had been at this proms tradition forever, and then it was not going to be included, and then it was, and then there, there was a lot was sort of revealed about people's attitude to musical traditions and who owns those traditions and how they might feel they're under threat. Did you feel sucked into that in any sense? Uh, yes, eventually I did get sucked into it. And um, I have to say that after, uh, I received quite a lot of, um, uh, I suppose you could call it hate mail or, or trolls, out, even outraged that I was, you know, a black woman was, was even touching the sacred hymn that be didn't belong to me. So the fuss started uh, as I was composing and I just took the decision. Um, I, I gave one or two interviews, but m my feeling is that traditions uh, change. That's the whole point. Things change. Um, tradition is this long line. Things grow and change as society changes. And it's it's right that that does happen. Um, and I think a lot of this sense of outrage was from people who probably don't go to concerts or mm. um, it, there was something else to do with, I think, maybe the unease in, in the time we're living. But it got it got quite ugly, I have to say. And I was so disappointed that it's, it's still a minority, but there was a little bit, even a little bit of outrage from people within the industry who who felt I I, sh I was clearly not part of. Uh, classical music tradition even though of course I am <laughs> it's, it boggles the mind it, th that that is still the case I, I was listening to a brilliant radio program that you put together last year on this uh, horrible <laughs> white supremacist composer John Powell from an American composer and in it you said that somebody said to you when you were a child this this music isn't for you um, yes, that, that yes. even that that somehow we can be very complacent about how far we've come but that yes. documentary and what you've just said suggests that we have still a problem and a long way to go and isn't that isn't that sad it's so sad especially something to do yes it is sad and i think um i feel as if any change for the good in terms of you know equality and justice human rights there's always seems to be this incredible backlash which mm. um sometimes as a mark of actually progress to me i take it as that but that quite basic there's quite basic ignorance you know at play here that's what's so astounding you know i uh, yeah I, I was i was quite surprised at the level of actually i would almost so go as far as say you know hatred mm. yes um and to have that leveled at you to to get to get that personally is is um is horrific and mm. I wonder as you say maybe there is a mark of progress in that that it, that hatred is coming out because things are happening but it it, yes. it feels so shocking that 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 yes. always seems to encourage the the opposite yes. view or the kind of weird um, contortions people get into when they when they're defending something that actually comes from an indefensible place. It, yes, it, and the framing of that argument is can be so abhorrent. I mean, I was I was quite struck in your in your program about John Powell that a, a pianist who'd recorded his music re, was interested in the music and then found out about him, but then recorded it anyway, and then you know had the conversation. But but there was a review of his music where someone said. Uh, this very interesting music has been overshadowed by his his horrific views 
as if actually the music is is fine but you know unfortunately yeah, there was this nasty business but actually it kind of is the point isn't it yes it is the point i think there's we do think oh the music's separate uh, mm. to the creator um and you know there's there's a there is a sense and music can do a lot of things but it can't it's not words so it, it mm. you know you can read it so many different ways but but i do feel well for me composing comes from a place of uh, certainly a sense of connectedness and compassion for the world and and people who are quite unlike me and it's it seems terrible to squander any ta any talent and sort of reduce yes. it to this you know to this level of a bigotry which mm -hmm. john powell certainly did yes and and in case people didn't understand that his music was intended to be that ugly he gave huge program notes to explain it <laughs> as well so there's no doubt yes. in his cases there yeah which is which is ghastly mm -hmm. um so it's a, i would thoroughly recommend um that program is still on bbc sounds uh, listening to it it was it was eye-opening and fascinating um but on perhaps less mm -hmm. grim <laughs> subjects happier <laughs> um, subjects no. it's your forthcoming yes. projects um I, <laughs> i'm curious i saw about the uh, uh, dido's ghost uh, as a forthcoming work which sounds uh, wonderful and actually is struck by a line on the website that says confronting a past that refuses to fade which i thought was lovely um are you able to say a little bit about that piece other than golda schultz is in it <laughs> um <laughs> this is a this is not for it has been in gestation for about 10 years uh so uh working with dunedin consort uh where's he'll be performing john butt will be conducting conducting Wesley Stace the librettist it is basically the sequel to Dido and Aeneas what mm. happened when Aeneas left what happened what happened next kind of thing and Wesley found in the writings of Ovid the exact story of what happened next so Anna who's the sister of Dido I think she's called Belinda Purcell but she mm -hmm. she's washed up in Lavinium and um but Aeneas's wife Lavinia is extremely jealous plots to kill her it's a quite a simple story but we we're also addressing the fact that you know Aeneas we hold him a bit accountable to you know will he will he will he make amends for the wrong he did you know for mm -hmm. the lies he told but it's been fascinating working on it and Freddie Wake Walker will be directing it and he's such a crucial part of the team it's a very very happy team so that's the work I'm that's really in focus for me now at the moment and fingers crossed that it will be um it will be performed yes. to an audience next year Gosh, I, know. <laughs> oh, I, know, that, I know I mean that's what's you know what's keeping me going Lucy the fact of performances and I'm lucky I've actually been with three different orchestras during this time uh all, all live and it's Amazing. incredible yeah yeah so i i live off you know i'm living off the prospect of performances as we as we all are mm -hmm. well I, I really very much um looking forward to hearing that more about that as it progresses um and so what what we have done at past and i forgot to warn you about this <laughs> at the beginning it's in previous <laughs> oh. podcasts i've been asking um everybody what what a couple of tracks music that they've been listening to lately that they would like to share we have a playlist that we attach to the the podcast so if there's anything that oh. is available perhaps that that people can listen yes. to that you might want to recommend well i was very fortunate um yeah i've just 
last week I was working with World Conservatory of Scotland and uh, Madeleine Kowalski, a young student, was playing my cello concerto hmm. uh, with the orchestra there. It was fantastic. Um, and David Watkin was sort of, you know, had been coaching the orchestra. And I was so happy to finally meet him. And uh, I was list- I've was i been listening to his cello suites, you know, which are extraordinary. Oh, lovely. Um, and then what else have I been listening to? Uh, I'm very good friends with Katie Mellower, songwriter. So I've been, oh, yes. you know, so I've been listening to her songs on, you know, on this long drive between Glasgow and the lighthouse. It's a fantastic way to sort of listen to things again and again yes. on the drive. So they're the two people. Katie's got a new album out, and she and I will be um, for Spitalfield Festival. We're, we're sort of uh, curating and hosting a song club, which will be coming up in December. Wonderful. Oh, that's great. Um, I usually um, chip in with some of my own choices, if that's all right. Oh, I yes, would please. like to. I mean, I've got, I've got a couple I was thinking of, but I would like to also, I was thinking of adding in some of your music too, if that's not too blush making. Um, but the, <laughs> one of the ones I was very, again, intrigued by the title, Are You Worried About the Rising Cost of Funerals, was a song set that I was very struck by, partly because of all the different styles within that, but especially the first song in that group I thought was just great um so I thought we'd include that oh um, the beehive oh yes beehive. The beehive. I love That's beehive yeah. I love beehive yes 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 so yes. you'd be happy for us to add that presumably very very happy <laughs> <laughs> um and otherwise I was actually inspired by um Dido and Aeneas listening to Jesse Norman's recording of When I'm Laid in Earth which is oh, wow. amazing just, um just. and another artist called um I just caught her by accident on Jules Holland, which I don't normally watch. I just happened to turn on the TV and there it was called Green Tea Peng is her name. Ooh. And she was singing a song called Human. And I was I loved the song. And also her, yes. she had the most incredible sense of personal style that she was wearing this extraordinary Ooh. outfit that didn't really make any sense. But she made it just <laughs> rock, you know, so, oh, um, so that's a really she's really interesting um, artist. So I'll check her out. Do See. check her out. Look, check on the iPlayer because then you can see her, her brilliant hat. I think, I think you would you would really get a kick yes, out of I it. Would. I remember the last time I saw you, you were wearing the most incredible pair of DMs that I was coveting. <laughs> <laughs> they were orange oh, or something yes. or gold. Oh, I don't know. Gosh, I love my DMs. <laughs> well, thank you, Erin. This has been really fascinating as I as I thought it would be to talk to you. Um, so thank you very much for giving up some time to uh, spend on this slightly chilly afternoon. Uh, it's been a joy to talk to you. Joy to talk to you too, Lucy. Take care. Yes, and you. Thank you.